Welcome to the Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This week's theme is money, and Alan and I will be curating a mixtape centered around the root of all evil. Yes, we will. Hey, uh, I've been meaning to ask you, Alan. I was wondering if I borrow a few bucks. I, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> money. Money. Yeah, the, oh. this was a good theme. It, it, it really was. Um, it's not going to be as eclectic as uh, past shows. I mean, but but it's there's still so many songs that are available to us. I it, I don't know. I, I I really didn't waver though. My my list was pretty uh, determined from the moment I I wrote it down. Um, I did have two alternates that kept going back and forth between the the proper you know the the the, the list proper and and. You know, as alternates, but um, no, largely this one was easy, despite the the plethora of of money songs. So, did you find that as well? Yeah, yeah, I had my core and I had my alternates, and I kind of bounced around. But I'm pretty happy, unlike last week where I had to choose right. uh, randomly. <laughs> yeah, your bucket is not uh, here my bucket's us, not here. So. I'm I'm pretty happy with the order, and I'm happy with my alternates being alternates. But I really want my alternates to be on the mixtape, so I'm hoping there are a lot of matches so I can get to my alternates. As do I. Yes, I felt the same way. Uh, what I liked about this playlist, it includes a lot of songs that I haven't listened to in a long time. A lot of fun songs. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. it's it's you know being a music first guy, uh, yeah, they're all about money or some facet of money, but they're just really most of them pretty fun songs. Yeah, no, I agree. So, uh, what were your criteria? This time? Well, the songs had to be about acquiring, having, not having, or losing money. Then we match. Do you want to go? Or, all right, fine. Or, I'll go. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm really I'm really anxious for this first song here. Um, we've established already on this program that I am not as well-versed as you are, Alan, with later music, especially post-2000s music. Right. But occasionally a song comes across my radar, whether maybe I hear it on the radio, if one of my kids, because I don't listen to the radio much, or maybe I see it on you know, video on television. For a while there, when we had cable, we had like the upper tiers, like in the 800s, there were some kind of independent channels and, and one of them just showed videos like current videos which was kind of cool it was kind of like a return to mtv right and i actually discovered a lot of bands that way like some indie bands and stuff but um so i'm not sure where or how this one came across my radar but it's one of my favorite post 2000 songs do you have any idea where i'm going with this no um i I, I could, there are so many. It, um, it's just a, it's a fun song. It's just it's it, it's a lot of fun. It was it was very popular. The um, well, the artist wrote a song that appeared on one of our other broadcasts that was performed by Miley Cyrus. And we have a partial match. We have a partial it match. Is, it is on my alternates list. Price tag. Yes, sir. From Jesse J. Yep. Featuring B.O.B., which I was informed it's not Bob at some point. <laughs> no, it is, no, it is not. <laughs> so. And that came out actually in 2011. I can't believe it's already been, what, nine years since that song came out. But uh, what, a, what a great song. It's from uh, Jesse J's album, Who, Are, Who You Are. And it just, it's upbeat. Like I said, it, it's a feel-good pop tune. There's even a little bit of reggae in there. Um, you know, it, it, it's... It's a lot more along the lines of, I'm not a huge Jesse J fan, I don't have you know her albums and such, but from the what I've listened to, it seems to be a lot more along the lines of her party in the USA 
type of composition and, and not as much as her other stuff, which she likes to describe as a little bit darker and a little bit edgier, right. which is we discussed on the show uh, previous why she ended up giving Parting the USA to Miley Cyrus because she felt it didn't fit her edgy image. This one must have been somewhere in between and, and she decided to keep it, which I'm glad because she performs it uh, perfectly. You know, she's been called out as a hypocrite, of course, you know, with this because she makes a lot of money from her music. Oh, and sure. in this song, Price Tag, uh, she sings about how it's not about the money. But I think anyone with half a brain, if you listen to the lyrics, you understand that she's not talking about how it's bad to have money. It's the reason that you are looking to acquire wealth. Exactly. If you're doing it just because you want the name brands and you want to establish yourself in whatever social circle uh, because of that money, then that's a bad thing. And she is trying to say here that if you spend all your time becoming someone you're not or acquiring wealth for that reason, you're gonna have a pretty empty life. Um, really, it's it should be about living your best life and helping support that. I do love the song, it was on my alternates list. You know, it's not about the money. You know, it, it's it, it's a it's a great way to, to begin the episode because you know so many of the songs are not uh, optimistic or, or they're not uh, selfless in in this way. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm actually very excited. We just got done saying that we hope that our alternates make the list. So you just there we go. Just did my job for me. We could also we we've, we've titled by the way we forgot to title our episode last week. Yes, again, but. we did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but we've always titled by a, either a song that's on the playlist or alternates list or, or a song that maybe isn't on any of the lists, but just kind of fits. Right. We could really be ironic and, and, and go the extra mile here by taking a line from a song, not the title. And we could call it and not about the money or whatever the line is, which would make it ironic because the playlist is about money. Yeah. I don't know. I'm too deep into our own title <laughs> um, now. But it would be an ironic title. It would. It's not a bad idea. It's, it's not about the money. Not about the money. A mixtape about money. All right. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> I, I kind of like that. All right. Um, well, my first song is Money by Barrett Strong. Um, and we have a version match. Uh, I know who you went with. On my, well, I don't know. Do you know which one I went with? Well, it's either the Beatles or the Lizards. Not the Beatles, it's the Flying Lizards. Yeah, so we have a it's... we have a version match, but the Flying Lizards are on my alternate, so it okay. doesn't matter. So you right. get you get this one. Uh, yeah, Barrett Strong's, of course, was the original version. Um, you know, it's a lighthearted song about the love of money earned. Uh, yeah, it, it earned lots of cash, um, uh, especially uh, for for Barry Gordy, and it really helped to get the Motown label off the ground. Um, Gordy started Tamla Records in 1959, and money was 
the eighth single released from the label and the first to become a hit. It actually climbed to number 23 on the Hot 100 and number two on the R&B charts. Um, Barry Gordy, he, he wrote the song with Jenny Bradford, who contributed to Motown as a writer and also in an administrative role. She and Gordy had previously written two songs for Jackie Wilson's first album. Um, on Money, they, they turned that sentiment that money can't buy happiness on its head, insisting that the best things in life are not free. Um, the timing of the song was interesting, though, as it was a hit right as the payola scandal was was taking place, um, where disc jockeys, for those that don't know, disc jockeys were being investigated for taking bribes in exchange for playing records on the air. Um, Barry Gordy was warned that disc jockeys would not play a song about craving cash, but you know, the, you know, the, the jockeys didn't show any such reservation. Uh, the, the lyrics, though, to the song came out of one of Barry Gordy's favorite songwriting techniques. Uh, he would ask questions and then try to answer them. So the question was, what do people want most? And the obvious answer, love, had been done many times before. So money was the choice. And according to his co-writer, uh, Jenny Bradford, Gordy would ask these questions out loud and then She's the one who answered money. That's what I want in response. And, you know, Barry Gordy uh, then came up with, with what would become the first and third verses. And she found the second verse with the line, your love gives me such a thrill, but your love can't pay my bills. Um, it was the first song uh, recorded at Motown's soon-to-be-famous Studio A, uh, which was part of the two-story house Barry Gordy bought uh, there in Detroit to serve as company headquarters. And and this version, uh, it was used in the 1978 movie Animal House, which really helped to establish it as a frat party staple. Your version there on the alternates list. Um, I've never been a fan of it, but I will say that they're just they're they're very cold and, and very sterile delivery. Um, I, I, I you know they've always been. I, I think they capture the essence of the, of the songs lyrically right. uh, in in their delivery much better than the original. Uh, you know the original is just a fun right. You know uh, R and B tune. Um, but no, I. I I don't know. I've always been a fan of. of uh, no, it's it's a classic. I just I want an opportunity to have the flying lizards appear. <laughs> I just, I love it because it's so weird. You know, the flying it lizards is. were uh, you know late seventies, early eighties, new wave band. Um, this was on their their first album in nineteen seventy nine, and they did. It's probably I would think one of the most unique covers of of all rock history.
in life for free But you can give them to the birds and bees I want money wonder did they have another well even in america i mean this never charted in the top 40 even in the united states it did in the dance charts okay they may have had more success over in the uk but they didn't really have much success okay. in the united states but, I, I, uh, thought, I thought it cracked the top 40 but, but uh, you know one of the this a story from going back to the original i'm not sure if you're aware of this and it's i don't know if it's falls somewhere i don't even think it's an urban legend i think it's pretty well documented barry gordy and barrett strong were, were hanging out in the studio and they were kind of improvising um, different arrangements and so forth. And the story goes that there were two high school kids that were on their way home from school and they heard the recording in, on, out in the street and they basically knocked on the door and said, hey, can we play along? And I don't know if the kids had their own instruments or what, but they one played guitar and one played bass and they filled in and they played along on a few of the tracks and then they left and went home. And those are the performances that are appear on the actual recording. Really? Yeah, and and Barrett Strong said, I, I have no idea who the kids were. I've never seen them since. That is, that <laughs> so, is that's wild. Yeah. I, um, I had never heard that before. Yeah, yeah, now apparently the guitar player has been since identified. They still, I don't know if they know who the bassist is, and they likely weren't paid royalties for well, their I was work. I say, yeah, they did, they which certainly. Which, as high school kids, they probably don't care. They can brag to their friends that they appeared on a hit record, you know? Um, true. Yeah. I thought that was a great story. It really is. All right. All right my next one is... Okay, so I have a, a whole list of obvious ones that I wholly expected you to have, and if you didn't, they had to be on there, so I'm just going to rip through some of these uh, obvious ones. Of course, Money by Pink Floyd. Match. Match, yes. 1973's... Uh, you know, you can argue, we've argued, I have argued, I should say, a couple times on this show that there are certain classic concept albums that are disrupted by a song that appears to be there only to make it more commercial. Now, the Sloop John B, I believe, is the first track on the second side. Am I correct in that? On yes. Pet Sounds? Yes. Misunderstanding, which is another one I feel this way about, is the first track on the second side of Genesis's Duke. And I believe Money is the first track on the second side of Dark Side of the Moon. I think, I, I believe yeah. you're right. Yes. And, and you could, I mean, it's, diff it's difficult now because we listen to CDs and, and streaming, so right. we're not flipping the record as much. But I, I do recall, I believe, flipping the record at the time. Now, thematically, it, again, lyrically it fits, but it was one of those songs that I always felt, and as much as I love the song, maybe disrupted the flow a little bit of Dark Side of the Moon, but it's really hard to argue with, arguably the, the most classic album of rock and roll. Right, oh yeah. And Dark Side of the Moon, which maybe uh, younger audiences aren't uh, familiar with, it has this outstanding record that I can't imagine will ever be beat. Um, it hit the Billboard 200 when it came out in 73, and the Billboard 200 are the top selling 200 albums of that week. It stayed on the charts on that chart, did not drop out once, stayed on that chart consecutively for 950 weeks. 
18 years. Yeah. Now, I remember as a kid, this is pre-internet, folks, okay? I, middle school, I'd say probably middle school, I would get on my bike every week, probably on a Saturday, and I would ride my bike down to the Star County District Library Mm -hmm. to read Billboard magazine. They had a copy, you couldn't take it out, it was one of the periodicals. The first thing I did every time, every week, when I opened that Billboard magazine was to see if Dark Side of the Moon was still in the top 200. Really? (laughs) And and that was middle school, so I'm what, 13 or 14. It it remained until we were 18 years old. Wow, yeah, I am. Can't say that I, I went to the library weekly to, to check on well, I was, I was a geek, yeah, but, yeah. You know. Well, no, I had the Rolling Stone subscription starting at age twelve, so I, I get it. Um, it. It was just it was recorded in Abbey Road Studio, which another just fun fact. Uh, we talked about Yellow Submarine a few weeks ago, and we talked about how the Beatles went and they kind of raided the closets and the cupboards of Abbey Road to get sound effects. And one of the they used a cash register that they found uh, as, I guess, the sound of the chain of the boat being, I don't know, whatever, some some sound effect on Yellow Submarine. That same cash register was used in Dark Side of the Moon. Yes, it was. Uh, on, on the money track for the cash register sound as well. You're right. And many studio effects were used. Um, you know, they were using a new 16-track recorder, which allowed them to, to layer sounds much easier, but... Complex, you know, studio techniques like this still took a, a long time to do in 1973. There, there weren't digital recorders and samplers available like we have today. Uh, if you wanted to copy and paste something, you had to do it the hard way with a razor blade and splicing tape. Um, yeah, Ro- Roger Waters, you know, that, that intro that, that continues through the song, uh, he actually put together the cash register tape loop that plays throughout the song. Um it contains the sounds of, of tearing paper and bags of coins being dropped into a, an industrial food mixing pole. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the intro was recorded by capturing the, the sounds of an old cash register, as you said, on, t- on tape. And then they meticulously spliced and, and cut the tape in a rhythmic pattern to make the, the cash register loop effect. But, um, you know, it, it's kind of remarkable because... Um, the tape loop used on this song was about 20 feet long because they, they just kept, you know, yeah, playing right, it. Right, right. And if, if you've ever seen a reel-to-reel tape machine, you can imagine how hard it was to keep it playing. Um, in order to get the right uh, tension and, and to hold it up um, and to continuously feed the machine, they set up the loop uh, in a big circle using microphone stands to hold it up. Um, and, and it was fed through the tape machine and, and played throughout the song.
the dialogue at the end uh, of the song. Waters drew up flashcards with with these deep philosophical. Yeah, we, we didn't mention Ro- this is a Roger Waters composition. Yes, yes, it is. Um, and not a, not a David Gilmore. No. Um, and then he he showed the, the the questions to people around the studio and taped their answers. Um, the ones that you know the band liked made the album. And among the people questioned were a doorman, uh, a roadie, even Paul McCartney. Um, most contributions weren't used, but McCartney's guitarist at the time, Henry McCullough, um, he, he did make the final cut with his answer, I don't know, I was really drunk at the time, which is, <laughs> you know, used at the, the end of the song. Um, no, it was a Roger Waters composition, um, but Gilmore, he was the one that, you know, created the instrumental time change, because, because the song... It's really unusual. Yeah, it's two separate time signatures. Right. This is one that I, I play on bass, and it's not a hard... I no. mean, for a beginner, it's complicated because the time signature and, right. and so forth, but you know, after a while, it, it's it's pretty repetitive. But yeah, you get to a certain point of the song, and then it just totally changes. Yeah, it's, it goes from 7-8 to 4-4, to 7-8, four, four, and then back to 4-4. To four, four. Now, it's... And, and two, let's not forget, if you buy into the whole Dark Side of Oz... Well, yeah. <laughs> ...from the mid-'90s, uh, if you, you know... For those that don't know how this works, you you begin uh, Dark Side of the Moon after the third lion's roar. Uh, uh, yeah, so you queue, you queue up the DVD or the VHS at the time of Wizard of Oz, and then you have the opening MGM lion. So at that third roar, you hit play, and there are just really strange coincidences yes. and ways that lyrically and musically it matches with what you turn the sound down of, of Wizard of Oz and watch it you know, with the Dark Side of the Moon as the soundtrack. Yeah. It's pretty... Pretty crazy. It, it is, yeah. Th- this song, um, this song begins playing just as uh, the the film goes to color. Right. Just, just as so uh, the entire first side of the LP is exact same yeah. time to the second of the entire black and white portion of exactly, yeah, and the movie. Yeah, it's just it's kind of nuts. She opens the door, you know, after landing in Oz and opening the door, you know, the movie is transformed, you know, to to Technicolor, and that's when money begins playing. Okay, my next song. Um, you talked about the cliches. Here we go. I went with Can't Buy Me Love by the Beatles. Um, we have a artist face-off. An artist face So, okay. We have an artist face-off. Uh, I think I might know which, well, there, there are a few you might have Oh, there are several Beatles yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah. I chose the coolest one. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I love Can't Buy Me Love, but I just, I picked the cooler one. All right, well, we will, we shall see. We'll see which one sounds um, better in the mix. True. Um, yeah, Can't Buy Me Love, uh, Paul McCartney wrote the song. Um, you know, rumors started that the song was actually about a prostitute. Um, and, and when pressed by American journalists in 66 to reveal the song's true meaning, McCartney stated that I, I think you can put any interpretation you want on anything, but when someone suggests that Can't Buy Me Love is about a prostitute, I draw the line. Uh, he went on to say that the idea behind it was that all these material possessions are all very well, but they won't buy me what I really want, which, you know, is, you know, if you know the song, I mean, that that's it uh, in a nutshell. Um, however, years later, McCartney actually joked that it should have been titled Can buy me love you know, <laughs> when reflecting on the the perks that money and fame had brought him Can't buy me love, love, love. Can't buy me love. 
Billboard, you just have to give some some credit to the band. Um, until Billboard began using SoundScan uh, for their charts in '91, um, "Can't Buy Me Love" held the record for the biggest jump to the top position from number twenty-seven to, to number. And one. I believe that was a moment in history when they held the top five yes. spots on Billboard. Yes, they did. Um, it gave the Beatles three consecutive chart-topping singles. Um, "Since I Want to Hold Your Hand" was replaced at number one by "She Loves You." which was then in turn replaced by Can't Buy Me Love. Um, the three songs spent a combined total of 14 consecutive weeks at number one. And, you know, this is the only time in history still to this day that an artist had uh, three number one singles in a row. And, yeah, um, when Can't Buy Me Love reached number one, uh, it was... You mean in a row, like, in other words, the different songs Different in a row songs, yes. At the, you know, consecutively, consecutively, gotcha. Uh, reached right. number one. Um and yeah, when it reached number one uh, in April of 64, the Be- you're right, the Beatles held the entire top five. Um, the next position being filled by Twist and Shout, uh, She Loves You, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and Please Please Me, respectively. Um, and during the, the second week at number one, the Beatles had 14 songs on the Hot 100 at the same time. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, no other band in history is ever come close and I, I really doubt any band well this is a problem and this is a quick aside but this is I understand you always have to change the way that you chart songs right I mean for a long time it was by sales of singles and by radio airplay as reported by DJs yes and then as technology changed of course they had to take into account streaming which which they've done now with the charts the problem is because people don't necessarily release singles as they used to traditionally, now they're it basically, if a song is streamed, it's, it, it's eligible. Yeah. And I remember when, when Drake came out with, I think it probably his most recent release a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. No. It, right. was, it was so streamed, the entire album, that all, whatever, 10, 12 songs were in the top Hot 100. Right. And it broke some record. And I said, well, that, that's a little bit different. Because you used to have to go out and buy yeah, it was on, it the was, 45. or the, you know, like Today, a DJ would not play every single song from the album in heavy rotation. Correct. Or, back in the day, if you would buy an LP, that didn't count towards the song. It counted toward the album charting. Yeah. Yep. So it's cheating a little bit to say that Drake held the top 100 with all of his songs from his album. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, it's... Back then, you know, in fifties and sixties, it was you know it was entirely based on sales of the forty five, and um, yeah, and you know, songs, radio made or or you know, it, it was it, radio determined, uh, you know, the, the sales of, of songs. It was that simple, which leads us back to payola, of, of right. course. And then videos, of course, were huge. Video, with well, yes, the in sales. the yeah early eighties, videos did the same thing. So, um, and just another Gen X uh, aside, of course, um, the title of this song inspired, or at least was used for a nineteen eighties teen comedy, "Can't Buy Me Love." Patrick Dempsey. With Patrick Dempsey, and I think the ultimate irony for that is because he was the you know he played this lovable loser. Yes. 
uh, in the film. And later on, then 20 year or so years later, 30 years later, became one of the biggest heartthrobs big on, <laughs> on uh, what's the show? Um, Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy. My yep. daughter's a big fan. So I remember when that came about and he was on every cover of every single magazine. Right. And I'm like, how did the wimpy little loser kid from Can't Buy Me Love become the biggest heartthrob? Yeah, but, you know. no, and I remember the film. I I, I loved the film I at the time. Seen um, it. I remember what theater I saw. Uh, yeah, I think I was on I, a date. Yeah, I, I loved the film at the time. You know, as as a teen. Um, if you go back and watch it today, it it was not uh, a John Hughes film, and, and it shows. No, no. It, it, you know, it, it it pales in comparison to the you know the premiere. It was a, films. Fun, a fun but teenage it, date movie. It was, and yeah. then you know it made. Made every loser in the in the country think that you know if I just had a thousand dollars I could buy the the prom queen you know it's it's no, it was it was a fun film yep all right are you finished with uh, can't buy me love yeah all yep. right moving on so here is another song uh, post two thousand song that I love so much not only is it one of my favorite post two thousand songs it's probably in my top one hundred songs of all time really yeah. Love this song so much. Never get sick of it. Anytime it comes on, and I'm not a dance, trust me, I am not a dancing person. You don't want to see me dance. It's not a pretty sight. <laughs> I've seen it, yes. This is a song that I, if I am by myself and it happens to come on in my rotation or I decide to play it, I get up and dance to it. I can't get enough of it. Okay. It's Neo Soul. Uh-huh. You think you know where I'm going with this? I think, yeah. You think? Okay. Maybe. Uh, it's one of those I came across watching one of those higher tiered cable channels in the 2000s. This, this song came out in 2010. And immediately when it came on, not only the song itself, but the vibe of the video, which was very retro. So the sound is retro to begin with. It's Neo Soul. It has horns. The lead vocal is shared between the male lead vocal and an African-American uh, lead vocal. And the video is all shot basically the band performing in either solid red stage lights or solid blue stage lights. So it has this really kind of 60s album cover vibe because, you know, a lot of those album covers in the 60s kind of had those primary color washes on them. Sure. You don't know. You're confused now. Yeah, not, now I'm now I, I'm not entirely And when I sure. say Neo Soul, it kind of reminds me kind of of uh, Sharon Jones and, and the Dap Kings. Okay. They're not the same style, but similar in the way that they've taken this retro sound and they've harnessed it. And with new production and new technology, really makes you sick to think of how some of the soul music in the 60s or jazz or any music for that matter, you know, in the past could have sounded had the technology existed wow. to really capture it. Uh, without a doubt. So when I listen to this band or listen to Sharon Jones and the, and the Dap Kings, I just think, man, this is how the other stuff could have sounded. Fits in the Tantrums. Are you familiar with Fits in the Tantrums? Yes. And this is a song called Money Grabber. Money Grabber. Yeah, Money grabber. yeah I, you lost me there for you know, <laughs> in the description there for a while, but yeah, um, now familiar with the song. And yeah, Fits in the that they are just a fun, a fun rocking group. Yeah, they have, I think they're up to, I think their fourth LP is coming out here pretty soon. They release one about every two or three years. Right. They're an LA-based band. And uh, like I said, uh, the, you know, uh, Michael Fitzpatrick, that's where the Fitz comes from. And Noel Skaggs is the African-American uh, lead vocalist that, that shares the spotlight with him. And it's just got that nice back and forth. Yeah, no, absolutely.
it's in the tangent. I, their their highest charting single to date, I think, is still uh, "Hand Clap." Um, I, I don't know if you, you know. It's funny. Song. It's one of those. I I know the song is out there. I've read about the song. I don't know why I get enamored with an artist in one particular album and I never continue with their catalog, even with streaming, because it's so easy. Right. But I haven't listened to any of the other records, so I need oh, to do okay. that. Yeah. You'd like Hand Clap. I mean, as okay. a DJ, I usually pair it with Love Shack. It, okay. ha- it has a very similar yeah. vibe. Um, so, I, But this I, song, this song, I, I'm almost positive, would be in my top 100 favorite singles of, of all time. It's, it's, it's that much of a favorite of mine. It's interesting. And I was so excited to be able to, to, to pull it up. <laughs> um, no, it, it's a fantastic song. I, I would not have expected that from you. It's impressive. Um, what, what are you trying to say with that? You haven't, you, do, you didn't expect it from me. It's impressive. So you're not expecting impressive. No, I'm, oh. not, I'm not. I'm I'm expecting you to to you know stay very uh, you know firm in your your 70s, 80s, early 90s. Sometimes know, I walk out set, of the. Sometimes so. I color outside the you lines. You do. That one. And it, sometimes and I do. I listen outside the lines. It's impressive when you do. Right. I am. Um, I, you know, again, as I've said before, my, my knowledge of newer music is entirely because I, you know, it, it's just, I, I DJ. Um, and if I did not, I would not know any of these songs either. You know, I'm, I am, you know, 47 and, and very, uh, very happily stuck in, in the period of music that I find most comfortable. So um, I, I just do. I hope there are more of these kind of neo revolutions. I'm sure they are. I mean, there are, I'm sure every style of music is being revisited somewhere. It's just hard to locate where and how right. and what movement's going on. But it is, I have a friend who he, I can listen to old recordings and I'm fine, but he's enough of an audiophile. He even has a difficult time even listening to like fifties and sixties music because the production is so muddy. You know, even like Led Zeppelin. Like, think about how great Led Zeppelin could sound if it was decently recorded. Oh, yeah. And so that's the thing. It's just like, you know, it'd be cool to hear. You, you can't ever change it, but it'd be great to take some of those artists from the past and somehow magically allow them to re-record their music. Really Not even, even re-recording would be bad because the magic they captured in the studio at the time, you're never going to be able to recreate. Right. I just want that magic to have been crea- you know, captured in a clearer way. Agreed. Yeah. Why, well, you know, when you talk about the retro vibe that retro feel in music I, I female vocalists i think really have championed the cause i mean amy winehouse yes, duffy yeah. lana del rey i mean you know you have some of these uh artists that that you know they they changed the game forever and you're really seeing uh you know a, a love and appreciation for you know the the, the classics and yeah. it's and it, i love it I, I i welcome it without question all right, my turn. Your turn. All right. Um, well, can't use it next week now, but I threw it in only because I didn't think I would get to it next week uh, because I have far too many non-singles already to choose from. Um, my third song is by Billy Joel, and it is the uh, lead track from uh, An Innocent Man. Uh, I went with Easy Money. Mm. <laughs> really? Well... Couple things. First of all, I, I, I'm, I love I'm working really hard to keep out all of my the uncles from some oh, of these okay. more recent ones. Fair enough. However, if I and we'll talk more about this next week, but if we were to rank our least favorite Billy Joel songs, it would be near the top. You are kidding. It was, I remember it was the B side to tell her about it. Yes, it was. And I remember I had the 45 before I bought an innocent man, and I remember flipping it over and and you know at the time I don't know it, it it's supposed to be like a James Brown thing. 
Yes. It never worked for me. I won't say that I'll, I'm going to turn it off. I mean, I'll turn on Innocent Man for the whole kind of oldies concept that he's offered on that record. Okay. And for that way, the way it fits in the album and as a concept, I'm okay with. As a standalone, I can't listen to it. Really? Anyway, after I've crapped over your song, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, thank you for <laughs> now that. Now you can talk I, um, about it. <laughs> I, you, I, Sorry. I, I love the song. It's, um, it is... Uh, well, first of all, An Innocent Man really is an example of, you know, the singles being well chosen because all the best songs were released. Yes. Um, but Easy Money for me, I, I just, I, I love it. I, I can't help it. And maybe it is because, you know, I, I you know, grew up first, you know, my first love was the 50s and 60s music. Um, but, you know, An Innocent Man, it's probably the single most creative album of Joel's career. Um, and really one of the most unique albums in pop music. I mean, Joel was in, in a much more playful mood than he was on the previous albums, and he was feeling nostalgic for the music of his youth, so rather than simply make an album of 50s and 60s covers, you know, he went ahead and wrote a full album of, of new material that simply incorporated the sounds of the good old days. And hence, I yeah, nearly every track, really every track, bears, um, you know, an obvious musical influence in, in Golden Grades like James Brown, which is easy money. Uh, the Drifters, Dion and the Belmonts, The Temptations, The Four Seasons. You could see if you wonder with Leave a Tender Moment Alone. In yeah. fact, I remember in high school, didn't we have an idea we thought it would be great if they released an album where the actual uh, artists that inspired those yes. would cover them? So James Brown would sing Easy Money. Stevie Wonder would do Leave yeah. a Tender Moment Alone. Well, you know, the Uptown four, Girl, Four Seasons. The Four did Seasons they? did cover. Did they? Yeah, they did, okay. did cover Uptown Girl. Billy's version is better. <laughs> but, um, you know, Four Seasons were you know, aged. Right, at, right, at that right, point. right. Um, but no, it's a, it was a remarkably, you know, creative move and, and really one that very few other songwriters I think ever could have, ever would be, you know, as bold or daring to try it, it themselves. It is a concept album. Most people don't think of Innocent Man as a concept album. Yeah. And Billy Joel really doesn't make concept album. This is his concept album. Yeah. Oh, without question. And Musically. You know, um, yeah, he opens Innocent Man with, with you know, this with easy money it's it's a grunting and howling soul number and you know the it's, it's a funky clap and dance track it comes complete with a scorching horn section um i i'm i can't believe you don't like the song that that hurts dave you've 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 you've, you've hurt i don't know billy joel and today maybe people would discuss again going back to the cultural appropriation i'm not he's paying an homage to his oh yeah heroes i'm not saying that but it just Boy, you're pre it's pretty bold trying to pull off James Brown when well, you're a white guy from Long Island. <laughs> well, that's true, but you know, being a concept album, it was a love letter to the, the I get art, that. The no, I get that inspired it. I get it. Just some of them worked better than others. And, and agreed, but yeah, Joey he grunts and growls as he delivers really one clever metaphor after another in the song. You know, take me to the power, take me to the heat, take me to the cleaners if it's open to the street and. You know, really, it's just to illustrate he's ready to ante up. You know, I got a hot slot machine of a system ready to go. Um, at the very least, there's no doubt Joel was really enjoying himself when he recorded this one in the studio. Take me to a party if they're threatening in the back. I've been working all my life. Can't 
Maybe, maybe it was the accompanying uh, Roddy Dangerfield film yeah. that also, because yeah. they had a deal back, right? He would allow this song to be used in the Easy Money film, the pretty forgettable film by Roddy Dangerfield. <laughs> Very And then Roddy yeah. Dangerfield then in turn appeared in the Teller About It video. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was, you know, side side of the stage on, on the Milton Berle show. I, you know, and it, was it Milton Berle or was it at Sullivan? I think it was at Sullivan. Oh, was that, yeah, Sullivan. Right. It was right, at right, Sullivan, right. yeah. Next on our show, yeah. I um, I don't know. I and two. I mean, let's. I'll just say it. I, I think Billy Joel's videos from An Innocent Man were some of the vi- oh my very gosh. Most Tell her about it, Uptown Girl, Keeping the Faith were yeah. were three just oh. landmark. Yeah, the Keeping the Faith video I think is my favorite video. with Piscopo and um, so much so that a lot of the other singles never even got video. Right. I think Leave a Tender Moment Alone was a live performance. Yeah, it was a live performance. Um, what was another one that didn't have well, a video? Innocent Man didn't have a Innocent video. Man did not have a video. Um, but yeah, it, longest time did they were at their high that's school. That's true. Reunion. That's so there are four yeah. really solid yeah. videos. Um, but no, I I always loved Uptown Man or <laughs> Uptown Man. Well, that works. <laughs> I always loved <laughs> Uptown Girl when when you know the the uh, the kids start break dancing. Oh right, right, you right. You know because that's that was so it dates itself oh, a little it, bit. It very does, very much does. Um, but no, in, in Innocent Man, I, it is one of the last great concept albums, and you know, it, it isn't Joel's masterpiece. That that title still belongs to the Stranger. Um, but but you know, I think this is easily Joel's most fun studio album, probably his most creative. And I do, I really, I've always, I think it, it is a rocking lead track. I, I just, hmm, I, I'm kind of no, I, I, respect, I respect that. Yeah, no, no, no. I just, oh. it, it to me again, to me, it feels like a B side that made the album. Okay. Uh, As if House of Blue Light made Stormfront. That would be painful. <laughs> that would be painful. All right. Well, now that you've destroyed my no, my, now my, see that this self confidence. We, we go way back. We're honest. We're not just gonna. We're no, you know very very true. And I love Billy Joel. That's why I can be critical. It's like being a family. It's being critical of a family member. I feel like I can be more critical of someone that you and I have listened to and talked about for so many years. Oh, without question. So. All right, next one's an obvious one. I totally expected you to have it on your list. Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. Match. Yeah. Got to have that. Uh, 1985 from Brothers in Arms. And man, there's we could probably have a whole podcast on this song because there's a lot to talk about. But I'll just kind of highlight a few things. Um, you know, this is right at the heyday of, of MTV. You mentioned Billy Joel come out with those concept videos that were very popular. And Mark Knopfler, you know, lead vocalist and writer for Dire Straits, was not keen on creating videos. He felt it would kind of water down the oh, whole yeah. he, he message of the music and so forth. Yeah. And so they kept saying, you know, MTV is not going to play a song of the band just performing. You know, we're beyond that. You have to come right. up with a concept. And so eventually, I think it was his girlfriend that finally convinced him and said, listen, nobody wants to watch you <laughs> there on stage. And so they, they, the record company, whomever hired uh, one of the earliest, you know, computer animated um, short films, I guess you would say. And it's the, probably one of the first time where they attempted a computer animated character. It was. It was the very first okay. video to employ it. Yeah. But, uh, but the song itself has a great story that most people know that Mark Knopfler was in New York City and he was in an appliance store and he overheard a couple blue collar workers watching MTV. Um, I think Motley Crue wants to, they, they like to say it was their video they were watching. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I don't know. 
But they were watching and they were just making comments, disparaging comments about their jealousy that they have to work hard. And then these artists in the video basically get their money for nothing and their chicks for free. And uh, Mark Knopfler, I guess, went to the clerk and said, can you give me a pen and a piece mm -hmm. of paper? And he yep. just started writing down these actual lines that these men were saying. And a lot of these lines became verbatim the lyrics of this song. Oh, yeah. He, he transcribed their words. Um, yeah. Well, Knopfler, you know, he used to be a reporter. He worked for the Yorkshire uh, Evening Post. And he, he really put his journalistic, you know, experience to use in writing the song. Because he, he just sat there like, you know, a fly on the wall and wrote down everything that these two were saying. Um, and he wrote the song right there in, in, in the department store. He actually, um, you know, he was eavesdropping. But he sat down uh, in the store. He was sitting at, at a kitchen display that they set up. So he's literally at, you know, a kitchen table writing what he's hearing these two say. Um, no, it's a... It's a it was a no-brainer. You had to have money for nothing on your list. Um, and, of course, it features Sting. Yeah, and that was actually Sting's idea. Sting was hanging out. I don't know what they were doing, but um, Knopfler played the track for Sting. Yeah. And Sting said, oh, you know what you should do? Uh, since it's kind of about MTV, so it's kind of self-aware, I guess, you should have the line, because the fame, there was a famous tagline, I want yeah. my MTV. It was an advertising promotion. Right. Art to get, artists would say it, sometimes scream it. To get cable, because you know, yeah. cable. a lot of people didn't have cable at the time. And so uh, Sting ended up, uh, not only was it his idea, but then Knopfler invited him into the studio to record it to the melody of Don't Stand So Close to Me. Yep. So that's where that came from. So again, I can't imagine the track without that. Now, there was a little bit of controversy um, because Knopfler, like you said, was a reporter and he's writing in first person. He, he wrote a yes. lot of first person type songs as a character. Mm -hmm. So he's writing as, as these characters that are saying these things. And so there is a, a gay slur um, in the song. Yes. It, it appears on the album. And the single version in America, and I know for sure, dropped it. Um, and, they, and they changed it to a less offensive slur now right. live when they, when they sing. Um, he defended it as saying, I'm simply taking on a, right. a character. I see, I see both sides. I understand today. In fact, the, the, the version we're going to include on the playlist is the single version. So we are not going to include the original, but it still is on the original Brothers in Arms album on, on Spotify on streaming. So you can listen to it if you want to. So I see both sides of that. But yeah. um, no, I, you know, he, you're right. He basically suggested that, you know, he, he was reporting. He, right. he literally was writing down. He, they wrote the song. They never received, you know, correct so, song right. credit. But literally, these two very uneducated, very, uh, you know, just very opinionated men, you know, right. in the department store. They wrote the song, and he said, you know, if I'm going to be honest, 
with with what they said than the word you know. But people don't listen to lyrics like me. No, they don't. And um, <laughs> and they just hear a man, you know, using this term, and they feel like it's just coming from the artist himself. Oh, so. yeah. Without, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, uh, Knopfler, he did uh, did edit it and, you know, substituted uh, less offensive words, and, you know, he performs it live without them. So Well, that video he didn't want to shoot, by the way, went on to win Video of the Year and the third ever MTV Video Awards. And I, I, I'd venture to, to guess that they probably wouldn't have been the pop darlings for for one album that they were, uh, if not for the video. So yeah, agreed. And then the Walk of Life followed that up too, which is a nice little catchy yeah. tune. All right. Well, you just named her. Um, oh. my fourth pick is from Madonna, and it is Material. We have another match because that's on my list. Madonna, you know, I I'm not a huge fan. I, you know, you know, twelve year old me was in love with her after the Like a Virgin video i mean i think most well most teenagers i may or may were. not have had my first sexy dream based on that song but anyway <laughs> moving on yeah i am um, but now she you know she really she took uh, the music industry you know by the balls i had to you know to kind of be some to be crude but she basically just you know she changed it forever she she really brought you know the 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 female empowerment to the music industry that it had been so lacking, and you know, artists today, I mean, Lady Gaga would not exist. Were well, not no doubt, from Madonna, no doubt. you know, no she was unabashed in her in her views, and you know, she would pose naked, um, you know, and and it, she just, you know, she said there's no reason to, you know, you know to cover up, basically, just you know, I, or shave her armpits if I remember well, yes, correctly. Yes, yes, that <laughs> very true. Um, yeah, and the video for Material Girl it recreated uh, a classic scene from the movie Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Right. With with, uh, with uh, like 50, 1953, I think uh, Marilyn Monroe. I think it was fifty three. Sounds sounds about right. Yeah, because Madonna played Marilyn Monroe's character, and you know MTV they played that video constantly. Well, it's, it's and, the one that, that really cemented that, and Like a Virgin, which were both from the same LP. Right. It really cemented her. I think she ended up having three top five hits in a row. This one went to number two. Yes. Um, and, you know, she was forever associated closely with the song. Well, not forever, but for a very long time associated closely with the song, which, you know, she basically, you know, people even called her the material Yeah, girl, that anno- her and, nickname, and that really annoyed her. Yes, and yeah. it, she she could not stand it. Um, you know, the song and the video, they were widely misinterpreted as Madonna playing a capricious gold digger, you know. Um the video concept was Madonna as an actress uh, playing the role. It, you know, that idea of the film within a film, it was actually very popular among MTV videos. Oh, yeah. Um, it, was a, it was a staple. Yep. Um, but, um, yeah, she, you know. But there's a twist ending at the end of the video. Yes. That's the key. Yeah. I mean, because you're right. And it should have clued viewers on early on because she's an actress playing the role. Right. Yeah, because there at the end, she, you know, she's just a regular girl who likes simple things, and we see her drive off with a regular guy in a crappy car. Yeah, I, I, I think it's the isn't it the director? And during the in between shoots, he's trying to impress her with all sorts of all sorts, material yeah. things, and she keeps turning them down. Right, and she's there's a scene where she's on the phone and she's you know talking about how he's he's coming after her and right. buying her things. And but yeah. the very end, then he kind of you know changes up his strategy and he has an old rusty pickup truck and you know a bouquet of daisies, and then she agrees to go out with him. Right. But yeah, that irony was lost or ignored by by journalists, especially looking for a storyline or a moniker for Madonna, so the the name and image stuck. Okay. 
the video shoot too for this song was where Madonna met her future husband Sean Penn. So mm-hmm. um, that the connection was Megan Lee Oaks, who was working on the shoot and had been Penn's assistant. Um, so Penn came by the shoot and got his first look at Madonna, and uh, when she was in full costume, and not not long after they you know they were married so you mentioned too how she was kind of a symbol for for female empowerment and, and a lot of people at the time and even still today look at the song as being one of those songs that really um you know kind of promotes that idea but that's debated too a lot of people said it's not you know i mean yeah i mean it's, if it's a song about depending on a man then maybe it's not but it depends on how i guess you look at the song right because it's a case of a woman standing up for herself and taking charge and knowing what she wants too absolutely um but really she you talked about how it's for for women and this is from her perspective at the time so i'm not speaking for her or what but she at the time said emotions only last so long you know feelings of love or romance but that sense of security that every woman wants to have her entire life stays forever which is why you might see women be with men that you know way below their league physically um, especially when it comes to dating rock stars and, and athletes. Yes. Because it's that security, that financial security, that's what lasts the longest with attraction. Yep. All right. That's a good one. It's a good one. Can't believe I just divulged my sexy dreams as a, <laughs> as a 12-year-old. Uh, but Material Girl was one of them. Okay. So uh, to me, is it my turn? Yes, sir. Okay. So this is our Beatles moment, our Beatles... Uh, face off and I went with the title track or the not title track but the opening track from Revolver Taxman Taxman yeah I figured it was either that or you never give me your money so. and yeah 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 that's well that one's kind of a suite of songs it so that's is, a little yeah, more difficult true. to pull out but yeah it, it was uh, 19, we've already talked about Revolver on this program came out in 1966 in fact it's the only album to begin with a George song yes um, John and, and you know George was a lot younger than, than the rest of the band and Ringo wasn't much of a songwriting threat. Right. But when George came to his own and really wanted to begin contributing, Paul and John were not keen on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they helped him here or there, kind of like a like you help a younger brother. Right. But when George started to find some success as a songwriter, they kind of resented it. Well, they, you know, he was, you know, competition. Competition. And, you know. It was all Lennon McCartney. But, you know, you got to a point where you couldn't ignore some of these songs. And right. Taxman was he had several before but Taxman was really the one that kind of stood out to the point where on Revol- arguably their most influential album it, it begins that album uh, it begins with kind of a, a kind of a really lazy strange count off which some people think is kind of a self-mockery to their very first uh, on Please Please Me I think it's is it Dysolar standing there is the very first track and it starts off yes. with a countdown too so it's kind of a, yep. a throwback to that as well but uh, really it was just written because yeah, uh, George finally became rich, realized how much money was taken from taxes. One, two, three, four, one, two. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me. Cause I'm the tax man. Man. 
it is a fantastic uh, track. I um, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan later covered it. Um, and then you know, I, it, it's just it's a very bluesy number. That I, just the you know the licks on that guitar. Rolling the, Stone the called it Skeleton Funk. Yeah. Um, that, well, I, which is an interesting way of looking it, at yeah, it. it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, I um makes sense though. I I, I get. It. Yeah. No, I, I totally get it. Um, but no, I um, uh, I think I would refer to you. I'm going to let you have Taxman over Can't Buy Me Love. I, I, well, let's I, see how it feels on the well, on the true. sequence. But you know, I thought about Taxman. I thought uh, I even thought, baby, you're a rich man. Uh, you know, but Can't Buy Me Love. It just felt like. And, and you made this comment last week. To me, it just felt like it was the song that our, our audience would expect sure. to, to be on the on the episode. So I kind of thought the opposite. I, I, I first thought, oh, everyone's going to expect Can't Buy Me Love or Baby, You're a Rich Man. Yeah. Because, you know, the word rich or money is in the title. That's when I thought, oh, tax man, that's kind of a sneaky one. I'll kind of, you know, oh, I, people maybe not think of that. If, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, no, maybe I, they will. No, I, I like it. I, you know, I, I, I thought about it. Um so yeah, no, it's uh, well, we'll see how it how it plays yeah, we'll out. We'll see how it fits. Yeah, because yeah. they're both great tunes. All right. Well, my next song is from the disco queen Donna Summer, and we have a match on my alternates list. Do we? Yeah, she works hard for the money, which was really Summer's very last big hit. I was, um, and she unfortunately has passed. She has yes. Um, 2012 actually it's been that long since she passed yeah, yeah. The, the, you know the song it was based on a true to life experience because after the Grammy Awards in 83 uh, Donna Summer was at a natural party at Jason's restaurant which was a Hollywood hotspot um, she went to the bathroom and she saw the attendant whose name was Onetta Johnson taking a nap in, in the bathroom with a small TV on Summer startled her uh, from her nap and Onetta you know, she, she talked with Donna and she said that, you know, she worked two jobs and she was just physically and, and mentally exhausted. And and Summer thought to herself, wow, she really works hard for the money. And then knowing she had the, the makings of a hit, Donna Summer immediately uh, went into a stall and she, she took the roll of toilet paper and she started writing the ideas for the song, the, the lyrics, on a roll of toilet paper. Why don't you just use her cell phone? I, well, yeah, right. And I, in '83, <laughs> that would have made perfect sense. I um, but no, she she wrote the lyrics on a on a roll of toilet paper of all things, and then later that night she she went home and thinking about Onetta Summer, uh, you know, finished writing the song in, in 20 minutes. Um, the song became a tribute to, to hard work, working women everywhere. And Onetta Johnson, that bathroom attendant, um, she she appears on the back cover of um. Of the album. Summer's album, yeah, and her name is actually used in the first verse of the song. You know, Onetta there in the corner stand, and she, and she wonders where she is, and and it's strange to her that some people seem to have everything. Yeah, and it, so it's um, no, it, it is really an example of, of an artist who, in in conversation and dialogue with a fan, you know, just was really inspired, and Onetta, you know, had this song written for her.
And it was also, we've talked about the politics of MTV. This was the very first African-American female yes. placed in heavy rotation on MTV. Yeah. Um, Michael Jackson had just broken the color barrier a couple of months prior. And yes, that, and I remember this video. Oh, it yeah. Was, it was always. She was uh, dressed on. up as a waitress. Yes. It was very conceptual, but yeah, yep. it was good. Now, so I, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, and, and it's not disco. It is, it is, you know, it's very synth, uh, very, very early 80s, but it's, uh, it, it was her, I, I I believe it was her last significant, uh, you know, single on the charts. And it's a, it's a great pop tune. I remember when it came out here yeah. on the radio, it just exploded from the radio. Oh, yeah. It's just infectious, infectious hook. Yeah, no, it's Definitely. great. Yep, okay, so I'll, I'll take that one off my alternates list. All right, this next one I fully assume that you have on here, um, and that is Steve Miller Band's Take the Money and Run. It is on my alternates list. There we go. Uh, 1976 from from the album Fly Like an Eagle. Also on uh, the CD that I guarantee you, uh, it was a requirement if you were a college student in the <laughs> '90s to have Steve Miller Band's greatest hits on CD. I, I don't. It was kind of like Monopoly. As a kid, I, I noticed that every family I visited had Monopoly. Yes. I'm like, wow, everybody has it. It's like you know the Gideon Bible at the at a hotel room. You have to have Monopoly. Well, when you were in college. Uh, along with Bob Marley's uh, legend, legend, yeah, uh, you had to have, and the Eagles' greatest hits, Volume One and Two. Right, you had to have Steve Miller Band's greatest hits. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know anyone who didn't. <laughs> a tale of a teenage Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, he specifically wrote this as a road trip song. This could have been a song that we could have included on a road trip episode. But he yep. took a lot of road trips with his family, and he just. You know, they would listen to the radio. And, of course, when he was growing up, you only had the AM band, which we talked about sound clarity a little bit on the show. is very limiting. And so when FM kind of became a thing and most cars came equipped with an FM radio, he set out to write a song, kind of like Bruce Springsteen set out to write Born to Run as like this great road song. Yes. Uh, same thing. Steve Miller wanted to, to create this great road trip song that he could layer, that could be fully realized and heard on FM radio. Because remember, this is a time when most people, you know, some people had 8-tracks and so forth, but most people were pretty much constricted to, to just the radio. Yeah. And if you were just stuck with, with AM, you were really limited. So in, the, in a way, the kind of the new technology informed the production and writing of this song. Now, Steve Miller's one of those, I mean, I, I love his stuff to a point, um, like the Eagles. I can get sick of it pretty quickly. Right. I don't listen to it much anymore. And his um, his forced rhymes and lack of grammar sometimes really, <laughs> especially yes. in this song. Yeah, the, the rhyming just isn't there. You know, I, this is the story about Billy Joe and Bobby Sue, 
two young lovers with nothing better to do, so we're we're good to that <laughs> right. point. But then, you know, he rhymes it with, um, you know, then sit around the house, get high, and watch the tube. Yeah, there we go. Off the um, and here's what happened when they decided to cut loose. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, the, he, he doesn't adhere to any actual rhyme scheme. Um, but no, it, it, it's, it, it's a classic, you know, and, um, yeah. yeah they the, know what the facts is. <laughs> yeah. Again, to try to get that rhyme. In fact, well, early on in my teaching career, I would use pop songs to teach yeah. examples of bad grammar. Oh, I do. And nobody yeah. cared about Steve Miller then at that age, much less no. now. So, all right, your turn. All right. My next song is by Travis McCoy. It features Bruno Mars. It is the song Billionaire. Um, it was the first single from Gym Class Heroes frontman Travis Travis McCoy on his debut solo album Lazarus, and it features the vocals of McCoy's Atlantic Records label mate, R&B singer Bruno Mars. Um, when, when Bruno wrote the hook for Billionaire and, and sang it to him, McCoy was really conflicted. He, uh, he thought it was cool, but you know, the country was in a recession at the time, and he felt awkward coming out the gate talking about wanting to have a lot of money. Um, but his worries were unfounded. In the song, McCoy doesn't boast about how much money he has and the superficial things he does with it. Instead, the song, it poses a question to the listener. If you had a billion dollars, what would you do with it? Um, and a lot of what we find in the song is pretty selfless. For example, helping uh, the homeless, helping Katrina victims. Um, you know, it, it ended up being a, a really positive song. Not only that, it's it's a feel-good party song. It's breezy. It's a reggae, sublime type, you know, feel. And uh, the song's chord sequence is actually sampled directly from Sublime's 1996 track Santeria. It was also this was the second hit song to mention the actor Brad Pitt. Uh, the first one uh, was that "Don't Impress Me Much" by Shania Twain. Um, in this song, McCoy. And you, you, you have to excuse my French here. I know we've said we're PG-13, but McCoy sings that he'd pull an Angelina and Brad Pitt and adopt a bunch of babies that ain't ever had shit. And uh, in response, Brad Pitt said, it's really sweet. It's just unfortunate that my name rhymes with shit. You know, so, um, but no, it's 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 a great it's song. It's still a better rhyme than Steve Miller could come up yes, with. Yes, it is, yes. Um, but no, billionaires, I... I love this. I loved it from the moment I heard it. I want to be a billionaire so freaking bad by all of the things I never had. I want to be on the cover of Forbes magazine, smiling next to Oprah and the Queen. Oh, every time I close my eyes. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. Yeah, I would have a show like Oprah, I would be the host of everyday Christmas, give Trappy a wish list. I probably pull an Angelina and Brad Pitt and adopt a bunch of babies that ain't never had shit. Give away a few Mercedes like, here, let me have this. And last but not least, grant somebody their last wish. It's been a couple months that I've been single, so you can call me Travis Claus minus the ho-ho. It definitely deserves a place on our I, I don't know the song. I've never heard it. You're kidding. You've never heard Billionaire? I mean, if I have, I don't know. I mean, maybe okay. one of those that I've heard and just didn't know. Pa- I, I, I would guess, but we'll... 
We'll see. I feel like there's a there's a YouTuber that I like to watch occasionally. You know, reaction videos are huge. I don't know if you've watched reaction videos. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, there's a, an African American gentleman who is just <laughs> got such charisma, and he's probably about ten years younger than we are, maybe fifteen years younger. And so there's a lot of music from the '70s and '80s that he's not familiar with. Mm-hmm. And so he'll have viewers send in these videos, and he watches them and reacts to them, and he's hilarious. I'm gonna have to look him up. That sounds like fun. And the best one, the best one, was "Paradise by the Dashboard Light." <laughs> and he started out, and he's like, "What is going on here?" And his expressions, and by the but by the end, he was floored. He's like, "I'm t- I'm telling you what, those they they can perform. Like oh, yeah. that guy is a showman." And so then he went through all of the Meatloaf videos, and now is a huge fan of Meatloaf. Because of it, but uh, so that's how I feel. I feel like because like we were watching one the other day, and "Sailing" by Christopher Cross came up, and he knew right. Oh, yes, I know this song. Of course, I know. I just didn't know that I know this song, and so I'm probably the same way with the song that you mentioned. Now, I mean, well, Meatloaf. You know, he actually he started on Broadway. Yes, he he was in uh, the musical production of Hair, and uh, that's where he got his break. Um, But uh, no, great song. I've, I've been waiting to use "Paradise" on a on an episode for a while, but. And it's the first time my daughter was in the room, so we got to introduce her to Paradise by the Dashboard. She'd never heard right? it no. either. Hmm. I don't think so. Oh, it's uh, and and the baseball analogy—it's just it's perfect. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. When he's <laughs> reacting to that part, he just what's going on now? <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm going to go on to uh, my guilty pleasure band. Okay. What do you think my guilty pleasure band is? Hmm. It became my guilty pleasure band in college. Okay. After seeing the Australian indie film. Uh, Tony Collette's, uh, at least the first film I've ever seen Tony Collette, and I don't know if it was her first movie, but it you know it was from it was an Australian film itself that kind of made its way over through Miramax to the United States in the early '90s called Muriel's Wedding. Abba. Yes. Okay. Definitely a guilty pleasure. Guilty yes. pleasure. I love every second of it. Every second of their. Now I should say I'm I'm one of those. I have their two greatest hits packages. So right. I don't I don't have all the. But for a guilty pleasure, that's a you know that's that's perfect. <laughs> money, 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 money from yep. 1976 Arrival. It was the uh, follow up to Dancing Queen, which of course is one of my favorite yep. guilty pleasure songs. As big of a hit as Dancing Queen was internationally in the United States, um, Money, Money, Money was huge internationally as well, but did, didn't fare as well in the United States. No, not at all. It never uh, it never hit the top forty. Uh, I think it went to number fifty two. Canada didn't hit as well either. So I guess over here in the northern hemisphere. Uh, in the Western world, we didn't like money, money, money. Um, it, it, it's it's really just it's kind of like uh, she works hard for the money in a way. Um, it's it's a kind of taken the perspective of a woman who is working very very hard and just can't seem to find any sort of like financial independence and is working to uh, thinking maybe uh, finding a man to help yeah, out. She, I was going to say she, the, the song is all about trying to find your sugar daddy. It, so. it was it was it was used then of course in the in the huge Broadway smash. I wasn't the only person to find a guilty pleasure around that time with Abba because shortly after um, Mamma Mia, Mama Mia yeah. uh, was written for Broadway and was a smash hit on Broadway and then there was a film version uh, with Meryl Streep yep. and Meryl Streep plays Donna the tavern owner who sings this song in Mamma Mia. Correct. So there's a Meryl Streep version out there as well. Um, I mean, that's all there is to it. <laughs> I love the song. It fits our theme. I figure why not get a little bit of uh, you know disco pop in there. I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. 
Well, I'll tell you what. I intentionally left it off my list because I knew you would. Well, there you go. This, this is one I just I knew you were going to have it. Well, my next pick... Um, we have we've we've talked about them before. They they have been on our previous uh, one of our previous episodes. Um, actually, two no no uh, we had two songs by them. It was an artist face off actually at the time. Um, it is Bare Naked Ladies and If I Had a Million Dollars. We have a match. Okay, so right now we both have two alternate picks coming that's correct so we've also been eliminating one another's alternate <laughs> picks so well i told um, you i thought of a couple earlier yeah. when you were talking so. so yeah now if i had a million dollars by the bare naked ladies um you know it, or bare naked ladies <laughs> what did <laughs> i say the bare naked ladies oh, oh, no one cares oh, yes, yes, no yes, one yes, cares yes. i'm just gonna, i'm just gonna keep doing that <laughs> <laughs> crack me up if you're um, watching videos and you have bare naked ladies on your tv would your wife be upset anyway Mm, <laughs> I, <laughs> hmm, it's interesting. Uh, that's a conundrum. Um, all right, so yeah, it's a song uh, by Bare Naked Ladies, and it's it's from the album Gordon. Um, it was composed by founding member Stephen and Stephen Page and Ed Robertson. Um, but uh, the sing along track it, it's become one of the band's best known songs, and it's a live show staple, despite never having been. A, a true single. Yeah, it was and, never released as a yeah, single. Yeah, never released, and it you know there's no accompanying music video. Um, it, it's actually one of the earliest composed Bare Naked Ladies songs. It, it was first conceived as a simple improvised song while Page and Robertson were counselors at a summer music camp. Uh, on the way home from camp, Robertson played the tune for the campers, randomly listing amusing things he would buy if he had a million dollars. That would be fun, too, because you think the kids could join in exactly. a verse yeah. once they kind of got the, and, right. and they can add their own. No, I, I would have loved to have been on that bus ride home. Yeah. Um, and, and then upon returning um, you know, home from camp, he, he brought the idea to Paige and the two fleshed out the song. Um, and the song has become an icon of Canadian culture reflecting usually sentiments on Canadians who wish to win that, that large lottery prize. Or how they call Kraft Macaroni and Cheese Kraft Dinner. Yeah, uh, yeah. very true. Um, and, and while the song does hint at romantic intentions, the lyrics offer very eccentric ideas about purchases that, that one would make, right? But some of the purchases, actually a number of them, I'd say even maybe a majority of the purchases that are uh, named, they're actually humorous references to the lavish spending of pop star Michael Jackson. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, during the eighties, specifically the exotic animals, the remains of the elephant man, even the dress that he bought for uh, Elizabeth exactly, Taylor, the green yeah. dress that's yeah. cruel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for an award ceremony, Jackson bought Liz Taylor uh, a sparkling emerald green dress, and yeah, that line, but not a real green dress that's cruel. Was it was actually originally written as with a tastefully rounded neck. Um, Paige incorrectly sang the cruel lyric in the studio as a joke, and Robertson found it so funny that the rest of the band decided to just leave it in. And and speaking of Kraft Dinner, um, you know, Kraft Macaroni and Cheese, there's a, the, the line in the song actually inspired fans to begin throwing oh, yeah. Kraft Macaroni and Cheese uh, boxes of Kraft Dinner at the band during concerts. Um, and it got rusty with the little cheese things opened up under yeah. the stage lights because right. it kind of melted and just... Right, yeah. <laughs> it initially, you know, it began as a single box in 91. Um, it was a show uh, at Danford Music Hall in Toronto, but it, it quickly grew by word of mouth and the number of boxes being thrown rapidly increased. It, it became so bad that eventually hundreds of boxes were pelted at the shows. and Some even, um, like, cooked the pasta and threw it at them. Yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, the band and their instruments were off in the target and, um, you know... 
it was especially unpleasant. Yeah, the, the, there were open cheese packages, which would create that that putrid aroma. And uh, some some diehard fans, like you said, they would they would go a step further and throw the pasta. <laughs> um, yeah, the, eventually the band requested that the fans cease the ritual and uh, instead donate the food uh, via bins set up in the the lobbies of their shows for local food banks. Yep. But yeah, I, I can't imagine you know up on stage performing and people are just intentionally just you know pelting you with with boxes of Kraft macaroni and cheese. If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, buy you furniture for your house, maybe a nice Chesterfield or an Ottoman. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a K car, a nice reliant automobile. And if I had a million dollars, I'd buy you. Yeah, part of the, the charm of the song was because it was improvised every night and they would change things up. And so when they realized they had to do a studio recording of this, they wanted that same spontaneity. Right. So every single day of the recording sessions, I'm not sure if it lasted a couple of weeks or what, but they um, they recorded every single day and they would just improvise. And then at the end of the session, they picked the one they thought was the best. Really? Yeah. I, I didn't realize there were that many takes. Yeah. Um, oh, and, you know, what's really cool, the song became an ice cream flavor. Right? Yes, from Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Uh, I had a thousand flavors. Yeah. Um, when the band partnered with them, and it's you know it's the first Canadian band to receive their own ice cream flavor from the, from the the brand, but um, you know it followed in the footsteps of Ben and Jerry's flavors such as Cherry Garcia and One Sweet World, which was Dave Matthews, and, and of course Fish Food. Fish Food, um, right? Yeah. So yeah, no, it's it's just a fun fun number, and you know if I had a million dollars, I'd probably build a a fort, you know, a tree fort in my front yard as well. So had to go with. Had to go with Bare Naked Ladies. Yep, perfect. That was on my list. All right, moving on. Uh, I'm surprised if you don't have this one in your list because we have local ties to this band. Hmm. The OJs. Oh, 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 they're on my alternates. Okay, yes. For the, for the love of money, yeah. They're, from, they're uh, from Canton, Ohio. They graduated from our uh, alma mater, although we graduated much later. Um, they attended in the in the late 50s. Yes. And uh, they formed a, a, a singing group called the, the Mascots, I believe right. is what they originally... Uh, eventually was discovered by a Cleveland DJ. Yep. And that's where they received, that's where they, that, that, yeah, chose they, the name OJs. Right. And then they eventually moved on to Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And, yeah. Um, no, it's not, yeah, I have them on my, my alternate the, the song we're referring to is uh, For the Love of Money. And people, you know, rock fans will recognize it for, for what it is, but uh, maybe younger viewers will know it because it became infamous as the theme song yes, the for NBC's The Apprentice. Yep. So now when I hear it, I'm like, oh, it's the, which I did enjoy at the time because I like to make fun of Donald Trump when he was the host of The Apprentice. It's not, <laughs> as the Smiths say, uh, the joke isn't funny anymore. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's a great kind of soul funk. How would you describe it? I mean, it's all of those things kind oh, of. Oh, yeah. It, it's disco uh, disco, it's funky. It, disco funk soul. Yeah, it, it's, it's. Uh, it's very hard to categorize. And what, and what I love about it, 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 it manages to fit, I think, just about every money cliche possible into the lyrics of the song. Yes. It's almost like the the lyricist, and I'm not sure which one wrote the lyrics, but 
um, said to the rest of the band members, okay, so what are some money cliches? And they just kind of pulled them out of a hat. It's another song that's really misinterpreted um, as a celebration of, of the accumulation of money. Um, but it's actually one of the more unadorned warnings about the sordid side of you know the money dollar. Um, it really points out the things people will do for it, cheat, lie, even steal from their, their mother uh, in the lyrics. Um, and it was written at a time when the songwriters, um, they were really reaping the financial rewards of their, their success, but they were also reconciling it with their spiritual beliefs, because Gamble had just recently converted to, to Islam, uh, actually. So the duo, you know, they wrote messages into their songs, uh, you know, just gleaned from their everyday conversations, and on this track, they're very clear, don't let money change you. Um, but, you know, yeah, it was the, it was, it was the theme song to The Apprentice. Um, you know, during Trump's run for president in 2016, uh, he used another OJ song, Love Train, uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, on the campaign trail, and, yeah. and also at the Republican convention, it did not sit well with the group members. Uh, they denounced him and his political agenda, and uh, that's kind of a common theme with well, that guy. Yeah, you're, you're saying that from every artist and band. Um, but no, it, it is it is a just a fun. I mean, it, it makes you want to get up and dance. It's you know, I love the funk. I love that soulful, uh, you know, sound and great bass line. Yep. But no, it is another one of my alternates that you have eliminated. So, very cool. It's kind of working out like I expected. Yes, sir. All right. So, uh, my next song, I don't know that you'll have it because generally uh, you're not a fan. Well, I can't have it anymore because I'm out of choices. So, I might have it on my alternates list, but okay. I'm done with uh, this one. I. I will be really surprised if you have it, not because it wasn't pie, it's not obscure, but it, it generally you don't go in this direction. Uh, my next song is Money Talks by ACDC. Um, I considered it, but then it was ACDC, and so I yeah. immediately dismissed it. <laughs> you got to remember, we have a contingent of our audience that, you know, love the hair bands and the metal and the, the hard rock of that, you know, of, yeah. of the 80s. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I'm here for you folks. <laughs> They really had little regard for, for you know, 
the rich and the faceless is what Angus Young called them. Um, you know, the guys in suits smoking cigars and enjoying their luxury lifestyles. Um, the big chorus of Money Talks um, is when uh, when heard in isolation, it's another song that sounds like it's a, a salute to money, but um, a, a listen to the verses reveals the opposite. It's really a takedown of those who flaunt their wealth and commentary on, you know, how many how money divides us. Um, ACDC got very rich, of course, but, you know, at least they stayed grounded. Um, Thunderstruck was the lead track on The Razor's Edge and the most enduring song from the album, but it wasn't sold as a single uh, in America. Money Talks was the single, and it, it reached a very respectable number 23 on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, you know, a lot changed for ACDC when they, when they recorded the Razor's Edge album, which outsold their previous three by a wide wide margin. For one, for one thing, Angus and Malcolm Young wrote not only the music, but also the lyrics, which was a task that had fallen to lead singer Brian Johnson in the past, but Johnson didn't have a problem with it. As he said, he was out of ideas. Um, and, you know, ACDC, I love this this bit, though. Um, they, they actually printed their own dollar bills to promote the song, and they put Angus Young on the, the front in place of George Washington. And on the Razor's Edge tour, these Angus bucks would blow out into the crowd. Uh, the music video actually opens with one uh, set on fire. But, um, yeah, it, it, to me, it's... It, it, it is a it's a fun rocking number, and we really haven't had much representation from that you know sub sub genre of you know 80s rock. Well, my next one would have been Material Girl by Madonna. Okay. So I need to choose an alternate, and I'm going to choose the complimentary song to Material Girl. Okay. In fact, I would argue that if it works sonically, we should probably put these back to back on the list. Okay. It is my favorite song by Wham. <laughs> I was a Wham fan back in the day. Um, I liked, in fact, the, George Michael was notorious for later on in his career hating pretty much everything that Wham yeah. produced, but he still continued to like this song, played it live in his solo performances, and, and said that this is his favorite Wham song, and it's my favorite Wham song, and that is Everything She Wants. Yes. So on one hand, we have Material Girl, where I want a man who can buy all these things for me, and we have Everything She Wants, which is about a guy that can just not keep up with the material girl. Yeah. So perfect compliment. Um, I was just obsessed with the song as a kid. You know, I had to make it big. And of course the big single in, in 85 was, um, uh, I think 84 is when the album came out, but 85, a lot of the songs transferred and, um, wake me up before you go, go of course. And careless whisper were huge. Yeah. But this song, it was just something about, uh, I don't know the cadence and the, just the production again, it, you can have too much production, or you can just kind of hit that sweet spot. And this is definitely an 80s song. It sounds like an 80s song, but for me, it works.
Yeah, no, I, I actually think, you know, when, when you when you said, uh, you know, sequencing, putting them together, I actually think it would sound very, very good. And, and talk together. about yeah. consistency. Um, Wake Me Up Before You Go Go went to number one on yep. Billboard. Careless Whisper went to number one on Billboard. And this was the third song in a row from the same album. Now, of course, when we were talking about the Beatles, we met like consecutively at the same right, time yes. week. The, this, of course, is over a period of six months to a year. But uh, this song also, uh, everything she wants went to number one. So was I'm trying to remember because that debu- that fr- debut album, Freedom, was, huge. was also which Freedom is a good song. Was Father Figure? Also? No, that was George Michael uh, solo. That was his that first was solo. solo album. I don't yeah. know why I thought that was William. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. No, it, it's no it makes perfect sense. A great song. Um. It was on my radar. I just, I, I didn't ever, think about it until this morning. Really? Yeah, because I was going over my list and I was listening to Material Girl, and then this song, I thought, oh my gosh, it's the it's the complete complement. It's the other side of the story. Yeah. To Material Girl, so no. it was my last. I, I forget what I bumped. Oh, I well, my first alternate is what I bumped. So hopefully, we'll have an opportunity to talk about that. All right. So I have. I'm. Um, this is my ninth pick. Um, I am out of my. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm done with my list. I'm down to my alternates. I get two alternates, uh, but I have three left. So um, it's determining which of the three I use for my two. Um, but the first one is is a no-brainer. I have to go with Rich Girl by Hall & Oates. Good one. I didn't um, have that on my list. Yeah, I, you know, it was, it was the first Hall & Oates single to hit number one, um, and it propelled them to superstardom. Um, the song was rumored to be about the then scandalous newspaper heiress Patty Hearst, <laughs> but um, the character in the song is actually based on a real person, uh, the spoiled heir to a fast food fortune uh, who had dated Sarah Allen, uh, Daryl Hall's longtime girlfriend. And her stories of him inspired Hall to write the song, but he had to change the character to a girl since he was the one who would be singing it. Um, according to Hall, the original lyrics were, um, you know, he can rely, he can rely on the old man's money. He's a rich guy. Um, and in, in interviews, uh, Daryl Hall has revealed that uh, the guy he wrote the song about, um, his name is Victor Walker. And he says, Walker, uh, came to their apartment acting very strange and entitled. Uh, apparently, um, you know, he was just, uh, you know, a very, you know, very affluent and, and very uh, arrogant man thought he could get away with everything. Um, and Hall said that, you know, he he absolutely knows the song was written about him. You're a rich girl and you're gone too far Cause you know it don't matter anyway You can rely on the old man's money You can rely on the old man's money It's a bitch girl, but it's gone too far Cause you know it don't matter anyway Say money, money won't get you too far, get you too far.
those first uh, albums by by Hall and Oates, and actually the first big two singles, this and Sarah Smile, that they have such that 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 soulful. You know, it, it's definitely what shot rock. I mean, going back to what yes, we, it is we talked about last week. Um, you know, and then in the early '80s, you know, they they, they just shifted a bit. I mean, they became we, a little more pop. They did a little yeah. again. The production changed a little bit, but still great songs. Oh, like Eater and Oh yeah, one on one. And if you call the Hall and Oates Hotline, you know. Uh, Rich Girl is one of the songs you can choose to listen to over the phone. I didn't so. know there was a Hall & hotline. You did not know about the Hall & I did not hotline. know about the hotline. Yeah. Um, well, I, give your next pick, and then I'll, I'll look it up All and right. give you the phone. I'm wondering why that exists. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. Okay, so I believe I have one that I definitely have to choose um, to replace um, If I Had a Million Dollars by Bare Naked Ladies. And then we don't know, again, who's going to win the Beatles um, face-off, so I could have a second pick. But I'm down to just two on my list. And I'm down to uh, both of them, 80 songs. So they're very Gen X. They fit in the wheelhouse. One is a cover version by Cindy Lauper called uh, Money Changes Everything. And the other is, uh, I think the, probably the, it was the first single for Pet Shop Boys, Opportunities, yes. Let's Make Lots of Money. So which do I want to choose? Um, I'm, I love Pet Shop Boys, but... I don't know, when I'm listening to this playlist this morning and Money Changes Everything came on, it just really got me going. So for, for sake of just, I think this would be a great song to put on the list. And both of them hit our Gen X target, but I'm going to go with Money Changes Everything by Cindy Lauper. So unusual, which was that first album she released in '84, was was huge. Of course, you had uh, "Girls Just Want to Have Fun," "Time After Time." You had uh, what else was out that "Drive All Night." Yeah, oh yeah. "Shebop," uh, and I was just a, this is one of those albums I was obsessed with as a kid. Yeah. And even though you know Cindy Lauper is kind of you could say it's just a pop artist, but there was something new wave about her. Oh, uh, without question. And that's what attracted me. And I wasn't you know. I, pure pop fan per se but I loved that album and again it was one of those I never really listened to any of her other albums after this but She's So Unusual I probably listened to every single day for a period of time yeah no, it was great and I knew all the songs before most of the singles were ever released that was a fun game if, if I really liked a, a single and I, and I bought the album I think we talked about this how many singles do you buy till you finally realize it's more cost effective to buy the album I think this is one I probably purchased early on 
And so I remember waiting in anticipation for Casey Kasem, because we didn't have the internet, to let us know what the next single was going to be, because I try to guess. You know, if I were the uh, record, you know, company, mm-hmm. what would I release next? Yes. And I think this was one of those that I said should be a single, and it was. So that's um, money changes everything. Um, so, no, fantastic song. You know, and I, that album was just from start to finish. It was just fantastic. I um, and I remember, you know, she was very, she was she had a presence on on you know. Uh, the the WWF um, and and of course she has uh, oh, what was his name Captain Lou Albani thank you well, yeah, yeah. He's, he was he's on a, uh, video for for uh, girls just want to have fun and yeah. that maybe even on Shebop I think he might have appeared in well, that he, video as well well Shebop I I always loved Shebop because that's so nobody knew what that what it, it meant it, it, yeah. nobody listens to lyrics exactly like me. yeah I didn't um, know what it meant till yeah because I ten years know, later it, it somehow well not somehow it, it very easily slipped by the the censors because yeah as you said no one listens to the songs all right you ready for this yes uh the the phone number uh first of all it's the colin oats oh colin oats okay that makes um, sense maybe i have heard and the, the number is for for the audience that would wish to call 719-26-OATS o-a-t-e-s which numerically is 719-266-2837 so I'm going to put it on speaker because I want you to hear this. It's it it is the most pointless thing. That, I like I like pointless things. Yeah, it, it's just it's the call and notes uh, hotline. So, um, welcome to call and notes, your emergency hall and notes helpline. Mm. To hear one on one, please press one. To hear rich girl, please press two. To hear manita, please press three. To hear privatized. Please press four. Let's go private eyes. Or do you want to go rich girl uh, since then, you picked it? It doesn't matter. All right, we'll go private eyes. Sorry, I didn't get your response. <laughs> well, we are sorry. What? An application error has occurred. What use is that? It call Whoa. notes doesn't even work. It that got me all excited for nothing. Uh, we're going to try that again because I'm telling you it does work. Well, while you're doing that, uh, have, have you heard of... Oh, he's back. Your on. emergency hall and notes helpline. To hear one-on-one... Please press Let's one. try Man Eater. Right. Man Eater or Rich Girl? I don't care. I'm Man-eater. disappointed now. What a quirky thing. And there's no advertising no, connected no, to it? No, I love it. Not, love no it. advertising at all. It's, and it's just this tin. And with Spotify and iTunes, why Why would anybody need this tinny uh, Obviously, you know? we're, we're featuring it. So. Well, very true. So that would be the call and notes hotline. And apparently, don't choose... Uh, don't choose privatize uh, number four because it is it an application work. error. But, Have you heard um, of the uh, duo, the recent duo, two women, Garfunkel and Oates? Yes. Yeah. yeah it's not family friendly, so we no, won't play no. them. But if you're interested, it's it's pretty funny yeah. stuff. Uh, they, uh, yeah, it's actually very humorous. I, yeah. They're very good. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, but not, not uh, family fair. Uh, okay. So I have two uh, alternates left. I love them both. Well, I shouldn't say I love them, but I love one more than the other. Um, but I feel culturally uh, the, the one that I like less is, you know, the bigger hit. Um, the two songs I have left, one is Busted by Ray Charles, which was actually a Johnny Cash tune before Ray Charles covered it. Um, and then I have a song that features Ray Charles, not, not Busted specifically, I Got a Woman, um, Gold Digger. By oh, con- yeah, by, con- yeah, yeah. by yeah. presidential nominee. Uh, no, he con- dropped out. 
Well, I read that he dropped out, and then the uh, then I read an article that said that he had just filed with the FEC. So I don't. But it's know. too late for him to get on the ballot in well, most states. In most so. states, well, yeah, he's going to drop out. I um, in fact, when when news came that he um, had dropped out, I think I read it in the Guardian. Um, I was really surprised that it took that long. I thought he was a big Trump supporter. Oh he, yeah, I, I don't understand what's going. on. The man is figure not that real. guy out. Um, He's not, not well. He's, he's not a particularly nice guy, but he, um, you know, musically, I, as much as I'm not a fan of him personally, I have to give him credit. Musically, he's well. He's he's, I, I, he's I, a genius. He's the Brian Wilson of hip hop. I've always said that. Um, just the way that he, his mind works, uh, and like Brian Wilson, he's a little bit off. Yeah, oh, without question. Um, but I, I'm going to go with Gold Digger. It samples the 1954 Ray Charles song "I Got a Woman," like I already said, um, and it's quite the opposite. Uh, which I Got a Woman is quite the opposite of Gold Digger because Charles sings about a woman who's very good to him and and very supportive, uh, so much so that she gives him money when he needs it uh, in Ray Charles' song. Uh, So throughout Gold Digger, Ray Charles is singing, She Gives Me Money When I'm in Need. Um, But it it works because Jamie Foxx appears on... Well, Jamie Foxx sings... It's not actually sampled. He's singing the Ray Charles part, right? He No, he's only featured in the intro. Oh, okay. uh, where he channels Ray Charles uh, but changes the lyrics to she takes my money when I'm in need Um, Fox was you know very adept at impersonating Charles well he went on to win the Oscar yeah he won the Oscar you know for playing uh, you know in the the motion picture Ray Um, but then yeah after he sings that opening she gives me money when or uh, she takes my money when I'm in need then the song it actually does feature Ray himself singing uh, she gives me money but Okay. It's That's kind true. of a trick of the ear because right, people right. have already heard right, know, right. Uh, Jimmy Fox's intro. Um, it, it, this is actually the first song uh, that featured a reigning Academy Award winner uh, or Academy Award winning actor to hit number one in the U.S. Um, Wait, well, say that again? The first song right. to feature an yeah, Academy Award winning actor to win number it, it's, one? It's the first song featuring a reigning... It's the first song to feature an Academy Award winning actor to hit number one... Uh, during the rock era. What? Eddie Murphy didn't win an Oscar and uh, Party All the Time didn't go to number one? No. Oh, okay. No and no. Although he has been putting bananas up tailpipes since 1984. Yes, he has. Um, but, um, you know, Frank Sinatra, he he won the Best Supporting Actor uh, in 53 for From Here to Eternity um, and was beforehand a dominant mainstay in the, in the swing and bebop, you know, charts, the pop charts. But yeah, um, now Jimmy Fox, he's the first Academy Award winner to hit number one or to be featured on a number one song she take my money when i'm in need yes it's a trifling friend indeed oh she's a gold digger way over town that digs on me uh. she give me money. now i ain't saying she a gold digger but she ain't messing with no broke broke now i ain't saying she a gold digger but she ain't messing with no broke broke With a baby Louis Vuitton under her underarm, she said, I could tell you rock, I could tell by your charm. Fars girls, you gotta flock, I could tell by your charm. West originally created uh, this this rap uh, song for, for Shauna's 2004 debut album, Worth the Wait. And when she didn't record it, he reworked the hook so that, you know, it was no longer from the female perspective, but a male perspective. And uh, then he recruited Jamie Foxx 
is a featured artist. So. All right. Well, I think that kind of takes, you have one more pick, don't you? Or is no, that your 10th? No, that was my 10th. Oh, okay. Yeah. I actually, of my 10 plus 5, 14 of my 15 songs uh, have been used. So, unless I'm counting wrong. Well, I think, well, I, th- I just, it depends on how we end up with the Beatles face off, I think. Okay. Because then I either get to choose one or you get to choose one more. Do you have more on your list? Uh, I have I have one more alternate, um, but there are other songs I can, of course, okay. pick. Um, but... Uh, that's true because I'm. We uh, well, not only that. Are you are you going to well, go with the flying lizards, or are you going to go with the original? We'll go with the original. That's fine. Okay. So it's really just because that was Beatles. your pick. Okay, so it's the Beatles. Just the Beatles face off. And my the only one I have left on my alternate list is opportunities from from Pet Shop Boys. One of the ones that I thought of earlier when you were talking uh, when we initially started the podcast was Richard Corey by Simon and Garfunkel. I have um, yes, I thought about that, but I I was going to save that for. Our Labor Day. Okay. Um, All right, then. I, which is what I was thinking, but I mean, I'm not adverse to using it here. I, 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 at one point, I was thinking about saving Donna Summer for the Labor Day episode oh, that's true. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, no, I, I do have the one... Um, I do have the one alternate left. So if, if we go what with alternate Taxman, It's Busted by Ray Charles. Oh, the Ray Charles. Which actually would segue very nicely into Kanye West, you know, Gold Digger. Um, well, it depends on... You want to go with... Um, with the Ray Charles and Taxman, or do we want to go with Camp Bomb Me Love and Pet Shop Boys? Because really, that's what it comes down to. Then, it, yeah, um, I don't know. I you know Camp Bomb Me Love, like I said, I thought it was the the obvious choice, but I am a, you know the, the older I get, uh, the more I tend to gravitate toward Harrison uh, as my favorite Beatle. I mean, for for years it was Paul, then I went through the John phase but um in the short-lived Ringo phase when you were drunk that one night uh, <laughs> I don't know that, even even in my drunken stupor I don't know that I've ever been a Ringo. poor guy we, um, we, yeah. great um, guy. but no Harrison increasingly I th- his music is just more and more it's my my favorite you know collection of Beatles tunes I am um, I am okay with going Taxman. I think it's, right, we'll, I think it'd be a nice pick. We'll go so. Taxman. So tell us a little bit about Ray Charles okay then. so busted by Ray Charles I actually have all 15 of my uh, tunes being used here. This has never happened. Um, all right, so Ray Charles, he, he recorded, uh, first of all, it's a Harlan Howard song. Um, he, he originally recorded Busted in 63, and it was the opening track, it was the opening track uh, of Charles' album, Ingredients in a Recipe for Soul. Um, the song was, you know, it was recorded and first released by Johnny Cash, Um that same year, Cash uh, reached number thirteen on the country charts, but uh, Charles' version was the, the bigger hit. It reached number four on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, Cash's recording, uh, which I want to bring up because I, I definitely want it on the, you know, the, the alternates list. Uh, Cash's recording was pure country. I mean, it was acoustic guitar and Cash's usual. Yeah, I remember that track. Yeah. Guitar jitter, you know. Um, Benny Carter's arrangement on Ray Charles "Busted" obscures the country origins. Uh, uh, entirely, um, and you know he replaces it with a call and response featuring a very pronounced brass section and just this er- erratic stride that underscores the the comically overstated woebegone lyrics. Um, you know the song is about a dirt poor farmer struggling to support his family and uh, bemoaning a stack of bills, his family's needs, animals that won't produce, and, and land that is barren. Uh, he even tries to ask his brother for assistance, but his brother was actually going to come to him for help. Um, 
you know, the lyrics, yeah, my bills are all due and the baby needs shoes and I'm busted. Cotton is down to a quarter of a pound, but I'm busted. I got a cow that won't, that went dry and a hen that won't lay a big stack of bills that gets bigger each day. The, uh, County is going to haul my belongings away because I'm I'm busted. My bills are all due and the baby needs shoes and I'm busted. Cotton is down to a quarter of a pound, but I'm busted. I got a cow that went dry and a hen that won't lay. A big stack of bills that gets bigger each day. The county's gonna haul my belongings away, cause I'm busted. Ray Charles, he, he delivers the song's message of poverty with, with a performance that manages to really stretch that simple melody over and across the lines. It, you know, it buries the overt waltz time of the cash version under a richer and more complex sound. Um, and he really strikes the perfect balance of, uh, you know, filthy to the beat and, and soulful expression, which punctuated vocal timing. Uh, Cash's version of Busted is good. I mean, it's very good. But but I, I've always thought Ray is, is far superior. So I went with Ray Charles, Busted. And I actually, you know, going into or coming out of Gold Digger, that, that would actually make perfect sense would. Se- sequencing our, our mixtape. So. Yeah, I'll just say, make sure you get an opportunity to listen to Opportunities. Uh, Let's Make Lots of Money by Pet Shop Boys. It's, an, it's another song where people kind of misinterpreted. Um, I, I love uh, Neil Tennant, who uh, penned the lyrics, basically said it's about two losers who are definitely not ever going to make yeah. a lot of money. And people don't listen closely, and they didn't hear the irony. And there's a lot of irony in a lot of Pet Shop Boys yes. music, so that's a fun one, too. Oh, it is. It's a fantastic song. All right. Well, I think that uh, that's it, then. We have our 20 songs. We'll be back right after this. And just like that, we are back. We have our sequence. But before we reveal our sequence, we need to talk about... <laughs> titles because folks we forgot <laughs> yes again last week to actually talk about a title and of course we went with at the zoo and that was not a song that appeared on our list last week no it wasn't i i had it as an alternate uh, i think you did too for a I did, while i did um but uh yeah it's becoming uh it's becoming a running gag absolutely we are a little too enthusiastic with our sequencing come back discuss it and we we time and again seem to forget about the title for our mixtape. So we are going to make sure right now that we tell you what we are titling this week's episode. And we have decided to go with what, Dave? For the love of money. All right. And, of course, that's the OJs, one of our songs. We could have just picked money. We could have, but it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of cheap. And, and like I said at the beginning, we could have been ironic by saying it's not about the money when the whole playlist is about money. But we, did, we weren't going to be that clever. <laughs> No, now we we you know, that would give us far too much credit. Um, but our sequencing, are you ready? This week on side A, we begin with "Money Talks" by ACDC, followed by "Easy Money" by Billy Joel, and that is for Dave's benefit. He can skip the first two tracks. He wasn't a fan of either. Let's start with track three. Yeah, which is track three is "Money Money Money" by ABBA, followed by "She Works Hard for the Money." by Donna Summer, Material Girl by Madonna, Into Everything She Wants by Wham, 
Price Tag by Jesse J and B.O.B. Gold Digger by Kanye West, followed by Billionaire by Travis McCoy featuring Bruno Mars, and we end Side A with For the Love of Money by the OJs. That takes us to Side B of our mixtape, which begins with Take the Money and Run by the Steve Miller Band, followed by Money Grabber by Fitz and the Tantrums, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits, Money Changes Everything by Cindy Lauper, Into Taxman by The Beatles, Money by Pink Floyd, If I Had a Million Dollars by Bare Naked Ladies, Busted, not by Ray Charles, but by Johnny Cash. We had to change that one, folks. Ray Charles was not on Spotify. So while you'll hear the clip on the show itself, Johnny Cash is a perfectly uh, perfectly good replacement. I, he, he was the original recording artist. And then following Busted, we go with Rich Girl by Daryl Hall and John Oates. And our mixtape ends with Money, That's What I Want, the original by Barrett Strong. And just another note, too, the version that we included uh, onto this uh, particular mixtape of Money by Pink Floyd is the one that's from a great collection of dance songs, that great title. <laughs> yes, I love the title of their greatest hits. That was yeah, the first kind of attempt at a greatest hits in the 80s. They've since released a, a, a more expansive greatest hits. But because of the rights of the record companies at the time and all that mess, uh, they actually had to re-record money in order to include it onto that compilation. So most people, most casual listeners might not notice the difference. Uh, eagle-eared, is that a word? No, eagle-eyed. What would you call someone that has really good hearing, sharp hearing? I don't know. Uh, Somebody with, re- someone who really, really, really understands uh, the, I don't know. I have a loss here. I just came up with a, I, I'm thinking Telltale Heart and, you know, his, his acute. Uh, yes, yes. Anyway, some people <laughs> who are really big Pink yeah. Floyd fans will uh, recognize that uh, it's the, the different version um, that we included. But we included that for sequencing because if we included the version from Dark Side of the Moon, it ble- it bleeds into the next song. We wanted a nice, clean transition into the next song. Yes, because as we've said before, for the mixtape, segue and transition, and you know, that's that's half the battle. Um, but no, it's, it is a really good playlist. I really enjoy this. I, this is a mixtape I would listen to, and actually I'm really excited to listen to it. So what do you think? Good. Yeah, no, I think we uh, at least hit a triple again. So, Agreed. If not a home run. All right. Well, it is time for our soundtrack segment of the show, where each of us shares a scenario with the other, and after hearing the scenario given, we have to right then, right there, decide on a song that we would play for the scenario given. Okay. So, all right. Do you want to go first, Dave, or, or should I? Uh, why don't you go first? All right. So here is your scenario. What song would your best friend say reminds them of you? If they were to play a song that they say reminds them of you, what song would that be? You know, I'm going to go in the past here. I'm going to use you here, of course, and I'm going to go back in the past to our, our days, and maybe Billy Joel's on the brain because that's our next episode. Yes, yeah. But I'm going to go with James. That makes sense. James, James, and we'll talk about it next week, maybe, if it happens to appear on one of our lists. James is one of those songs that is really kind of about a protagonist who's torn between maybe chasing a lofty you know, dream or goal, uh, in the arts or some other profession that may not be as secure or going the opposite way, the way that maybe the family expects doing something a little more, uh, you know, uh, concrete and, and 
accepted by society. I don't know. Yeah. I'm having a hard time here today. Uh, anyway, it's something I could relate to because I, I, you know, I wanted to be a full-time writer growing up, but I also realized that that can be a very difficult life. So that was, um, that was kind of a song I really related to. And I think, you know, you might've been the first one to point it out that that song reminded me of you. So um, does that yeah, fit? No, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Fits. Yeah. I, um, yeah, you put a lot of undue pressure on yourself. Um, I don't think your family had the high expectations that you sometimes thought they did. So. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it was family as much as I did. It, it wasn't the pressure they put on me as much as I wanted to, you know, make them proud. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. So you think I'd play James. Interesting. Is that, do, you, do you agree with that? or do you? Uh, 30 years ago, yeah, I, I would have played James. Today, I would probably choose No Surrender. Oh yeah, good time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, times have changed, but no. When we were in high school, yeah, James definitely would have been the choice. So very good. All right, my turn here. Yes. Oh, you get an opportunity to do something that I've always wanted to do. One of my bucket list, probably the bucket list thing that I'll never get an opportunity to do. What's that? But, uh, but that is to uh, to host Saturday Night Live. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I, you know what? I will settle for just being able to say live from New York at Saturday night. What era? Um, what era? Boy, probably either late 80s uh, or late 70s. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, either one. Even early 80s. I mean, it would, it would have been it would have been Early 80s, rush. anybody could get on and host. Well, well that's true. <laughs> but I mean, just to, to be there and see Eddie Murphy, Joe Piscopo, Billy Crystal, you know, Martin, yeah, no Martin Short in their prime. Anyway, um, you get to okay. host SNL and yes. you get to introduce, of course, the musical act. What act do you introduce and what song would you have them play? Oh, that's that. That is a dream gig. Um, okay, well, I have to go late seventies. Okay, we're, we're talking. We're we're going back to the not ready for primetime players in their earliest days, because you know SNL actually offered a large sum of money had they come together to perform on the show. Are you referring and to the Beatles? My dream would be the Beatles. Yes, I mean I can't think of a, a band. I mean there there are plenty out there that I you know I would love. To, to meet and to hear, you know, in person. Some, you know, members have, have passed. You know, Queen with Freddie Mercury is an example. Right, right. But, um, and certainly, you know, Lennon and Harrison now are gone. But to hear the Beatles, you know, reunite, come back together that one time had they taken uh, the offer. And actually, you know what? I've read that McCartney was actually at Lennon's house the night that uh, they offered. Well, there was a, there was a gag where Lauren yeah. Michaels uh, was going to offer... You know, so much money. I, I mean, I'm sure it was just in jest, but yeah, that McCartney was at the Dakota with Lennon. Yes. They were actually watching SNL live, of course, and they were tempted to jump into a cab and actually show up. That would have been the greatest oh, it, yeah, walk-on in the history of television. Yes, it would. Um, but no, I, you know, the closest I think SNL ever came and, you know, the two, it, it's not the same band, of course, but um, I will never forget watching George Harrison and Paul Simon yeah, play together. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a marvel. Yeah. But no, if I could introduce any band, uh, the Beatles. I mean, that, that would what be song? a dream come what true. Song? Oh, boy, now that's hard. Um, I would want something that they, that would feature all four, or, or in some respect, I mean, give everyone an opportunity. Wow, I, I don't know. How do you pick yeah, one song from the Beatles catalog? Um, maybe something from, well, Abbey Road and Rubber Soul are my two favorites. Um, so I might, let's see. I would, 
maybe I, you know what I would probably go White Album or Sergeant or Sergeant I, well, I don't know if you went Abbey Road side two and you did the, the suite of songs on side two that's true you yeah. feature a little drum solo with Ringo yeah you of course have Lennon and McCartney songs I'm not sure that there are any Harrison songs in there no I don't but think there but I are. believe bef- right before that montage isn't it a Harrison song isn't it um, Here Comes the Sun yeah Here Comes the Sun so you could start with Here Comes the Sun kind of cheat and go into that montage and then you could feature all of the Beatles oh, just close out the album yeah just Abbey Road side two. I like that there we go. That would be that would be my dream. Okay. Um, well, uh, as as Dave uh, mentioned, our next episode next week we are going to do a first here on the podcast. Our episode will be an artist spotlight, and we have chosen Billy Joel as our first artist. Uh, and you know, Billy Joel, we have a long history. The two of us, Billy Joel, was the reason we became friends so many years ago and, and that story may come out uh, perhaps if, if the right song is a part of someone's list um, but we're hoping that you will uh, find it enjoyable I, mean, I, I don't know that there's anything more Gen X than, than Gen Bill X Joel. I mean think about it his career 70s 80s and, and the first half of the 90s yeah um, he's he's an artist that you know he's a, he's a pop artist with classic songwriting sensibilities that just about everybody can rally around. I mean, I can't think of anyone who really truly hates Billy Joel. No. And I can think of many people who are obsessed with Billy Joel. Oh, yeah. We certainly were. We certainly were. (laughs) We were. um, Yeah, so that will be our our next episode and uh, looking forward to that one. You know what? And oh. don't, don't forget, too, we're not going to just talk about hits. In fact, we're not going to talk about the hits at all. The requirement is we need to make a mixtape of non- Single, yes, non top four should say that songs that never hit the top 40, right? Um, but you know, I was gonna challenge you a step further, I yeah, th- yeah. I think it'd be fun to include with our, our list of you know the best non singles the five worst songs by Billy Joel. Uh, I probably could already do that right now, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that it would be different. I love the guy, he's still one of my favorite artists of all time, but he certainly has a lot of filler on his albums, especially uh, you know, the second. Uh, part of his the back half of his career right um so yeah i think it'd be fun just to to compare notes and see what you would consider the worst yeah that'd be fun okay well uh again uh the the episode is sponsored by jay callahan painting uh they serve the greater cleveland area and you can find them on facebook jay callahan painting uh look them up and if you need uh your your house painted inside or out uh you know, definitely let him know that uh, Dave and, and Al Alan, uh, you know, referred you to them. Um, and I think that's it, right? What if you don't want it inside or out? What if you want it in between, like huh. between the the walls and the and the siding? Would they do that? I'm I'm sure okay. that you know you you pay the right price. <laughs> they'll paint anything you like. Uh, so um, yeah, paint paint the. Uh, the well, you said inside and yeah. out. I mean, yeah. why not the yeah. middle? Absolutely. And new this week, our newest sponsor is Affordable Entertainment. Now they um, they do have a website that you can go to. They they uh, it's it's a DJ service. They they also have photo booth rentals available. But very specifically, I want to call attention to their live trivia, Affordable Entertainment live trivia every Tuesday night. On Facebook, you can find this. They hold uh, a trivia game online and um, definitely uh, worth your time. Um, every week, the, the winner uh, receives a $50 uh, 
price and it's free to play and you know it, it it's definitely uh, you know a, a wonderful way they the uh, affordable entertainment began this uh, right as lockdown occurred in March and it's going strong still so you know what have you got to lose fifty dollar prize and you know people can play against each other in their own household and you don't have to play on a team if you don't want of course um, they're also looking for uh, locations to do live remotes so if you own a business uh, you know in, in the greater Cleveland area Stark County and then the surrounding uh, area um, you know you can certainly uh, give them a ring the uh, affordable entertainment would be more than happy to come out to your uh, location and and do a live remote of the trivia game um, so categories change every week and, and private events are available if you want to host your own uh, trivia event but affordable entertainment live trivia please look them up on Facebook and we we are very grateful for both of our sponsors ladies and gentlemen that's it for another week we hope that you enjoyed the show and we hope that you know if you are one of the fortunate ones that money does not corrupt you and hopefully you know the root of all evil is something that we can all work against for the love of money and our show has come to its end hot funk cool punk even if it's old junk another mix of memories awaits next sunday but for now press pause lift the needle and hit eject but we will see you on the flip side